number one for production in Atlantic Canada with Premier Mortgage for 2020, 2021, 2022. Number nine in Canada for small markets. At what age? Sure. 28 now. Got it when I was 22. Okay. Yeah, I was in there young. You're, right? doing like, you're doing about 300 mortgages a year? Yeah, about 275. Roughly around 90, $90 million. $90 million, yeah. yeah. Like, what did the first year or two look like? Like, where were those leads coming from? How did you grow your business? What was kind of your technique at that point in time to get off the ground when, and get when, rolling? When I was broke, I had rich habits, uh. When I was broke, I had rich habits, uh. Welcome back to the Master Keys Podcast. As always, Chandler Halliburton. I'm Neil Andrino. Really appreciate you listening. Really appreciate the comments. The last couple of posts, we've gotten a lot of engagement. So any questions, any comments, any thoughts, let us know down below. Please press that little bell ring thing. Um, it, it can make sure you don't miss anything. So we've got a lot of cool stuff coming on. Today, we've got a guest. you want to... Yeah, we've got a guest. guest. We gave him the key player of the week. I guess it would be last week. His name is Cyrus Habibi, Premier Mortgage. He's an absolute beast, drives fast cars. He's the man. He'll talk about how he grew his business and how he can help you grow yours. So you're going to want to tune in for that. It's always about getting your money. You need a good broker on your side. We only work with the best. Get yourself a great broker. We're going to talk about a bunch of topics like what he thinks on rates, where he thinks rates are going to go, what he thinks on the foreign buyer ban, what he thinks about Airbnb rental and, and actually how um, banks look at that. So all kinds of really cool topics in that interview with Cyrus. Yep. Um, but let's start off with showing some people out because we see you out there. Yeah, we'll show a couple people. I'll do the first one, Nova ATV. Thanks for subscribing and listening. Yeah, Vitaly Tassirilin. Yeah, of course, you get Nova ATV and you give me the name Vitaly do the second one, third one. So my apologies if I'm mispronouncing that, Vitaly. Appreciate you. Uh, and then uh, Kobe D. And then Fluffy Friends. Thank you. And, and last but not least, Mac Mac Mac, aka Mac Cubed. Uh, really appreciate you guys tuning in, following the channel. Uh, the support means a lot. Yeah, so before we go into the other studio with Cyrus, we're going to just do a couple quick news headlines. Um, but I'm going to open it with a quiz for Chandler. Oh, uh, and you guys okay. may find this one a bit interesting too. It is... The required pre-tax income to okay. qualify to buy a home based on like the average home price per city. Per city, so, yeah. Okay. So you need to say how much money you need to make Postal to buy income. in each city. Exactly. Um, to presumably buy an average price home, assuming all other debt normal. Yeah, exactly. So we're gonna start with okay. a random one because I don't want you to get it. So in Manitoba, Winnipeg, mm -hmm. how much money do you need to make? to buy the average home? Household. I can't give you the number of the price of the house because okay, it's too okay, easy. Okay, okay, okay. Uh, I think your household income has to be $90,000. Okay, not bad. 84279 Okay. Not bad. Okay, we're going to go into a slightly more interesting one. We're now moving to Calgary. Prices Ooh, are up okay. a little bit. People make a fair bit of money in, in the West. Yeah. What are we thinking? Uh, $190,000. Ooh. I fired him up there. You guys see what I did? I, I played him. 123. What? Because the price average in Calgary isn't that bad. And you guys out west know that homes in Calgary aren't that expensive. If anything, Atlantic Canada, well, Halifax is more expensive than Calgary. I protest. I tricked them. Tricked them. Um, so <laughs> next on the list, now we're getting into some real sauce here. You decide to move to Vancouver because you're mm -hmm. a big baller shot caller. Yeah. What in the world do you need to buy a small shed? Um... Household income of two hundred and thirty thousand. Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. Two hundred and sixty-seven. Well, two hundred sixty-seven nine. So two hundred and sixty-eight thousand dollars is what you'd need to buy the average home. And realistically, the average home there is a condo, and the average condo there is about five hundred square feet. So just putting that all into perspective, we're gonna do two more. Okay. Um, Toronto, just because we have to. You always have to do Toronto. Yeah, I would say. 
Oh, gosh. I think right now Toronto trade is probably a little bit less than Vancouver. Ugh, but what are the borders of Vancouver versus the borders of Toronto? Like the Matrix, just numbers flying by. I don't know. I'll hedge my bets and say 262.5. 240. Okay. Very affordable in Toronto for Chandler. Yeah. Um, and the last but not least, because this is where we record, where oh we God. invest, where we live. What do you got to make in Halifax pre-tax income to buy the average home here in HRM? Uh, 110,000. Yeah, that you're pretty close. 116. Yeah. So that's that one makes sense. But no, you did you did well overall. Thank I did. You. It does kind of blow my mind that the average couple has to make like mid 200s. Well, also note you said couple, which is why like it is difficult to buy a home on your own. Oh yeah, like independently, that's that's insanity. But like the Alberta one actually kind of makes sense to me because. I feel like it's it's very achievable to go out there, um, educated or not, and have each person make sixty to eighty thousand dollars a year, which would afford you the average home. Yeah, it's funny. There was a post where we talked about this, and I said how difficult it is as a single person to qualify for mortgages. And two people were in there like, "No, it makes no difference whether you're single or not." I'm like, "I mean, because you can have two incomes instead of one." <laughs> well, that doesn't matter. It's a total income. Yes, but two people having incomes is almost <laughs> always more than one person having income. Um, but yeah, it, it is a, a challenge out there to hit those numbers. And again, that's to get an average home. And you can imagine um, that that's going to vary by neighborhood, right? It might be oh, yeah. you know, a certain neighbors just wouldn't fall within the average range, period. Um, so pretty tough. On the flip side, yeah, we got a lot of engagement about the foreign buyer ban. And I wanted to clarify a couple of things because you were big on, <laughs> oh, well, if, if they're here with their temporary work permit, they're good to go. Not so fast, Neil. <laughs> Even those here with a temporary work permit, the criteria is that they have to have filed taxes for something like at least three of the last four years, which means they must have been here for at least three years. Haters going to hate. Look, look, look. I understand. Additionally, yeah. You know, students can also uh, buy a home. However, in order to be here on a student visa, the most you can work is 20 hours. So how many people working 20 hours a week can also qualify for home purchase? So that just black. We're making $116,000 a year. Yeah. <laughs> and then, uh, you know, last, you also need to be here something like 244 days of the year, which no student hits anyway. So we're going to talk to Cyrus about this. And surprise, surprise, he agrees with me. Uh, and But he can speak anecdotally about, you know, good individuals or couples that have come here with good jobs and they can no longer buy a house. Uh, and it's like, they'll just get their PR Look, status. No, what my point was, Instagram and like TikTok ripped me on this one, but my point was because of the editing, <laughs> Tristan, <laughs> I can see you through this camera. This guy's um, saying, oh, it's out of context. But no, my point in general was just that it's better than them slapping it in with no asterisks of like potential qualification. Um, but I do agree. It's going to make the situation worse. We talk about it again later. Um, but yeah, anyways, Take back what I said. Goddamn. In other news, uh, when this episode drops, there'll be another Bank of Canada rate announcement. What is your prediction, Neil? We know it's not going down. Do you think it's staying steady, or do you think it's 25, 25 points? Do you think it's 50 points? I thought they were staying steady until, what was it, two weeks ago? The BOC was kind of like, well, we're thinking about another one. Like, right yeah. after Christmas, they mentioned that. I guess not two weeks, probably a week and a half ago. So I'm thinking probably a quarter point. Um, yeah, the market's already building in 25 points. I think it'll probably be 25 points. I hate to say it because I think this is literally ju uh, this is just piling on at this point. Uh, and then we will have no rate hikes for, I think, the foreseeable future. Mm -hmm. uh, and then probably no pullbacks until, I don't know, I'm thinking late this year. Yeah. Um, see what, what Cyrus, Cyrus. Yeah. yeah. 
says on that. The last thing we're going to do... Oh, no, you've got a, a, a crazy news story as well. Yeah, this is kind of a random one. It's not going to make any difference in anybody's life unless you live in New York and it, the building falls in your face. But there is a brand new condo building. It's 58 stories, and it is le- leaning three inches to the north. And that's slightly concerning when you're talking 58 stories of concrete wedged between a bunch of 60-story buildings. Yeah. Um, and it's under construction? It's under construction, and here's a crazy already part. already leaning. Well, yeah. The thing, though, with New York construction, like reading through this, this building's been plagued. In 2017, a construction worker fell off to, like, the 30th floor and died, 36-year-old. He's like, does this floor seem crooked to you? It seems <laughs> off by three inches. <laughs> no. And no one listened to him. <laughs> no. And then one day. No, RIP, uh, good sir. But... The fact that in 2017, good sir. In tw- <laughs> the uh, fact that in 2017 there's people falling off the 30th floor, and now it's five years later, and we're still working on this building, and it doesn't even have the exterior facade on yet. Like, I guess it just takes a long time to build in New York. Um, but uh, the part that it's not that it's funny, but that the builder is suing the developer, saying the developer forgo uh, forgave. What, uh, skip, uh, for, is it forgave? I don't know. What what's forwent? Forwent? Fortnite? <laughs> I don't know. What's your question? <laughs> they your they skipped the builder's suggestion to um do extra piles in the ground to solidify the dirt. Okay. Is it forgave? Forgo. Forgo? Forwent? Forwent. <laughs> I have no clue. <laughs> See, that's We're very tired here today. We are a little tired. But um, anyways, long story short, so then, of course, the developer's suing them, saying that they didn't build it properly. Um, And but the press release from the developer is it's just a misalignment. We can actually correct for it with the windows on the outside, which doesn't give me any confidence. And, you know, this is a really big thing. It might it might all just seem like a bit of a joke, but it's a pretty big thing when you're building a brand new condo building in Manhattan. Like the dollar per square foot that you're going to get is crucial. Yeah, the cost of these buildings buildings is insane, um, and so like for that all to go on could obviously slow down the construction, which couldn't cost millions of dollars, and it may put a bad spin on the building, which doesn't allow them to sell them. Um, like this is a serious thing to the tune of like could be like hundreds of millions of dollars. Um, so so anyways, do they think the building has settled or it was mispoured? But they're thinking it's settled. So nothing's one hundred percent straight here. They're saying they've had two engineers that went through the building and they said there's no structural issues with it. It was just a misalignment as they're pouring the concrete on the way up. You know what I think actually happened? But other people are saying it's was they were doing a building inspection and the brought the uh, buyer brought their father and he looked at it and said, <laughs> "This building looks a little off. Looks off by three inches." <laughs> yeah, that that does happen. It's a classic dad on a home inspection he, that nailed it. He, 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 he brought a flashlight. He, he, he brought a marble. He's on the fifty eighth yeah. floor. Put his marble down. He's like, "Huh? Huh? Huh?" He got the belt going. He's pulling up his belt and he's like, "This thing's off by three inches over fifty eight stories." 670 feet tall too on a side note like the shit that they're building is out of this world like we get stuff here that's like 70 feet tall and we're like holy crap yeah they're at like 700 feet and like this is not even half the size of the biggest building here. i'm not an engineer but three inches over that it doesn't seem a lot i don't even know how you catch that yeah that's what i was curious about as well like how in the world do they anyways it's not like what if the wind was blowing really hard and they took the measurement i feel like the building sways more than three inches in the wind but anyways i just want to put that out there because i thought it was kind of neat and uh, of course the builder is called pizzerati so it's like the leaning tower of pizzerati oh it's it's pizza yeah they they had to do it they had to do it to them the leaning tower of pizzerati oh man anyways we're not gonna waste too much time on more useless news because we have a good session coming up with cyrus we got a lot of questions for him super stoked on that but before we hop in there we want to do our key player of the week we're yeah. also going to shout him out because we're hoping that he comes on the pod. And this week we chose Louis Lowen, 
a local fellow. He, he owns and operates uh, with his family Dexel Group, which is one of the premier builders here in town. Um, Louis close to heart for me because he's an engineer. I met him actually when I was finishing my engineering. Uh, they founded Dexel in 1999. They now have over a thousand units under management. I would say predominantly in the core of Halifax. Yeah, 200,000 square feet of commercial space. Some not far from here. Yeah, and he has a slew of awards because they really make an effort to build beautiful buildings. Uh, 2012, Ernst & Young Entrepreneur of the Year, uh, Heritage Trust of Nova Scotia Commercial Award in 2010, Multi-Unit Development of the Year 2012, Multi-Unit Development of the Year 2015. Uh, like, it just goes, the list goes on and on and on. Um, yeah, like Louis' philosophy and philosophy in work is good planning and design are the pillars of a healthy society. So... I can go on for a long time, but again, I'm very impressed with the developments that they do. Um, and again, we really hope that they are interested in coming on uh, and chatting with us. But uh, he's our key player of the week. He's something that I think a lot of us aspire to be like. Uh, he has some very notable projects on the go here in Halifax. So, yeah. I also want to give a little shout out to his brother, Fooey Lowen, who's a yep. great dentist and has got a great three-point shot. He used to hoop with uh, <laughs> Fooey back in the day. He's a good dude. So Shout out, Fooey. Yeah. So, cool. So let's switch over here to Studio B. Yeah. And we got Cyrus. Thanks so much for listening to this point. Thanks, guys. Join us over there. See you in a sec. All right. Thanks for listening to this point. As always, like, follow, subscribe, all that good stuff. We actually have a guest here today. Uh, we he was our him. key player. Last key player week. of last week. So now he's in the hot seat. Yeah. Studio B here. Cyrus Habibi from Premier Mortgage. I'm going to introduce him because he's my boy. This is actually <laughs> boy. my boy. Not Elon Musk <laughs> and Jeff Bezos. I don't, I don't fucking know those guys. I think we've shouted you out as your boy at some point on yeah. this show. Yeah. <laughs> But uh, we talked about it last time, but he is number one pr- in, number one for production in Atlantic Canada with Premier Mortgage for 2020, 2021, 2022. Uh, number nine in Canada for small markets. Come to find out the small markets are a little bit skewed because apparently Vancouver qualifies as a small market. Um, but he's also just a big baller and loves cars, and that's how <laughs> I know him. I'll add to his accolades. He's got a sick Corvette Z06 that makes a billion horsepower. That's somewhere around Yeah, there. around there. <laughs> Raptor. He's got a bike on bags. And a beautiful brand new house. So, like, this guy knows what he's doing. He's doing it big. And you're a mortgage broker. I guess we kind of dove, dove right into that. Yeah. Um, that's what you're doing to uh, achieve all these great accomplishments. At what age? Sure. Uh, 28 now. 28. Yeah, I got it when I was 22. So young. Oh, really? Yeah, okay. I was in there young. Yeah, you were brokering deals before any of your friends yeah. could even could buy, buy houses. houses. Yeah. 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 We that's can relate to that. Off, that's yeah. you getting your license, me getting my license. Thing. Yeah, when I get license. Buying houses. Yeah. Um, I guess we'll, yeah, we'll jump right into that then. Like, how did you end up going to that at that age? Like, what brought you into the mortgage business? Because I think a bunch of people that are listening have considered either becoming a real estate agent yeah. or a mortgage broker. I think for the, most people right now, it seems like because the market's booming, it's yeah. interesting. But when you got in, the market was not booming. And I would consider the same. Like, it was kind of flat almost. And it kind of always had been here. Yeah. Uh, so what kind of brought you down that path? Yeah. Tw- I got into 2017 is when I got in. So really, it was just I was a numbers guy. Before that, I was doing uh, insurance, and insurance oh, is yeah. just depressing. Like, you're talking about <laughs> life and death, and you're talking about disability and all that, and it's just like pulling teeth, right? So, but it, but it teaches you the skills of like cold calling and all that stuff, whatever. It's great, right? Yeah. But then I got an opportunity. I got to meet uh, Don McVicker, who is the, uh, the president of Premier, and he took a chance on the kid at 22. And uh, oh, I got mentored by a good buddy of mine, Jack, who was also top broker. And then uh, it kind of just, the curve went up from there, right? So got him with good mentorship, numbers guy, everything kind of worked out from there. But 
Yeah. What did Don pitch to you? Was it the potential income? It's funny that you're saying with the insurance, we're going to have another guest soon that we talk about insurance. Um, and we made that comment that it's not the sexiest business. This That's has right. definitely got a bit more sex appeal. But what kind of brought you in? Obviously, being a numbers guy, was it like also potential earnings, lifestyle? What else did you see there that was interesting for you? Yeah, well, the, the lifestyle really did change, right? Because when we first, when I was the first in the business, you had to meet everybody in person, sign oh, everything man. in person. Yeah. Like these docu-signs did not exist for mortgages, right? So oh, it was more just an opportunity to do something that I loved real estate, but I didn't want to be driving around showing the houses, right? Like I'd rather sit back, work the numbers out. I like the money side of it, right? So mm-hmm. for me, that was just the kind of the natural fit. So I ran with that, but it was more just, just the, uh, I guess, yeah, the lifestyle a little bit too and just. I would say like COVID was the best thing to happen to you guys because all of a sudden you didn't have to meet people anymore. It was bang on. And now like a lot of brokers, they do everything remotely. Like you could be sitting on a beach and knocking out these deals. um, Whereas we still meet people. We have to show them the houses, all of these things when you guys are kind of remote. It's pretty sweet deal, which is why in an episode we said that uh, if we were to start over, we'd maybe be mortgage brokers <laughs> yeah, instead we both of real estate that. agents. Yeah. Well, mortgage brokers, like, I guess the non-sexy version of a real estate agent. So you guys kind of get, you know, the, you're showing the Love homes, it. you're doing all like, you know, like the, mm-hmm. the, the glamour, right? But we're kind of on the back end, you know, sitting in, in an office punching numbers, right? So it's just more really the last two years or three years we can work from anywhere. It's almost yeah. kind of like I'm a digital nomad. Like I can go anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Nobody knows if I'm here or not here. Over the last two and a half years, I might have met five, six people in person. Yeah. And that's over, you know, in the last two years, 600 mortgages. So, and people, they don't so you're want doing, to meet you. You're right? doing like, you're doing about 300 mortgages a year? Last year was, uh, yeah, about 275, roughly around and the units. what total volume lent would that be, ballpark? Last two years was roughly around 90. 90 million. 90 million dollars, yeah. yeah. Each year. So, it's all right. Yeah, we, we talk about, we talk all the time that like the key to this whole game, like if you are trying to make it as a real estate investor, the key to it all is getting the money. Yeah. Right? Like so you need a broker who can get you the money and the proof is ultimately right. in the pudding, right? Like how many deals are you doing a year? What kind of volume? Because some of those are going to be people I assume you work with a lot of investors and people doing refinance in there. Yeah, yeah. Th- there's a lot of clients that you've really helped them build their portfolio. Like there was there was one of my clients, he started in the beginning of 2021. Geez, I've probably done 12, 13 deals for him just with purchase, refis, uh, you know, a little commercial here like this. Like it was a huge, and he just, his portfolio kind of exploded, right? Yeah. So, but being there from day one and helping them grow and setting everything up correctly so that they can keep growing is is really the main 100%. the main driver because if you do it incorrectly you can't access the equity if you got high penalties you can't do you know you got to have the right people in the places to make it happen you're their financial planner for the leverage yeah that's basically what it becomes like you need someone to plan all the loans that are coming in yeah because when you're doing one place it's not a big deal but once you start adding on a few you really yep. need to plan what kind of timelines you're doing, what type of products you're taking, because it gets to a point where your whole life is leveraged, not speaking yeah. from experience. Sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, no, it gets to a whole point where everything you have is leveraged, and so you really need to plan out how your mortgages go, and that's what you're really doing for these people. Yeah. And how many times do we you know, have a client like, oh, I'm looking to do this? It's like, all right, well, if you do that, you might have some break penalties on your mortgage, and they never even understood that, and like, oh, that's so weird, because when I signed this mortgage, I knew I was going to move in two years, exactly. and their broker just never... Mm-hmm. Ask the question or, or never had that conversation like, oh, well, then maybe you should have some sort of open mortgage or a variable mortgage because you think you're going to move here. Yeah. 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 You got you got to set it up in a, in a way that allows them to keep growing. And somebody might be like, hey, you know what? I'm going to live in this house 
forever. I want to just pay it off as quick as I can. Okay, then we kind of you know pivot to a different strategy, right? But if your strategy is to grow, we got to look at it differently. Now, before we talk more about like investors and what's going on in the market, I kind of want to go back to like the business of you becoming a mortgage broker, and obviously now you're doing. 200 to 300 ends a year, which is insanity, um, with no assistant, I might add, which yeah. to me is <laughs> mind-blowing. Um, but like, what did the first year or two look like? Like, Where were those leads coming from? How did you grow your business? What was kind of your technique at that point in time to get off the ground and get rolling? Because yeah. again, so many people are looking at joining this business. Right. And then I always ask questions, like, what's your network like? Everyone's 22-year-old, especially starting out. Yeah, you just roll out. And like you said, your, your people in your class aren't going to be able to buy yet. For sure. They're probably not even necessarily qualified or for sure. graduated. Yeah, for so sure. So how did you get those first couple of years to go buy, make enough money to live, and then actually grow this into a successful business? Yeah, so I started right basically May 2017. And, and what I did kind of right off the bat is that you got to find a need in the market, right? So where mm-hmm. is everybody else lacking, right? And where everybody was lacking was communication. People mm-hmm. don't pick up their phones. Yep. They don't follow up. They don't give updates. They go ghost mode when it's when it's you know <laughs> finance day. And I was like, hey, you probably already have a guy, and that's fine. But in the process, what do you not like? And everybody was like, communication, communication, right? So I said, okay, well, some people you already have a guy. Some people didn't. If you ever need someone else, let me know. You can I can tell someone how great my process is. But until you actually work and see how it goes, then you understand. So then mm-hmm. these realtors start dealing with me. Everything is super quick. Everything is organized. Everything is, you know, updated every day and everybody's in the loop and the realtor's in the loop and then everybody feels good. And then you got a little bit of dependability. So what happened was my business is 100% referrals. Yeah. I don't market. I don't, don't, my social media might post one or two things mortgage related a year just so people don't forget what I do for a living (laughs) and, or my friends don't forget. And, And that's really it. So it's all, it was the big part of it was in 2017 was prospect as many agents as I could, right? And I haven't prospected in four years. So prospect as many as I could. And then they become your biggest advocate as well. Yeah, agents, right? They yeah. talk and they say, hey, my guy's the best and here's why he's the best. And then they kind of pass your name along, right? So that side of the business starts blowing up, right? Yeah. And But then what happens is you start getting clients. Well, then now existing clients start blowing up too, right? And refinancing and buying more stuff. And, and refinancing. Running. And this is my first year where I have renewals coming up too. Like that was Ooh. 300 ends last year with no renewals, right? So I'm like, well, now I got my book of business is coming. The residuals the, coming the five through. Five years are yeah. coming up, right? So now you got people coming up that need something that they would have had five, wouldn't have had five years ago. I really like the idea that you first went out and found what the market was lacking. I feel like that was the same thing I tried to do when I got my real estate license is chase after sure. what there wasn't out there. Yeah. Um, and then you ha- you hit those clients' uh, files out of the park. Like yeah. you absolutely slaughtered yep. them, yep. which like you said, then the realtor and the client is like, okay, he's the yep. man, he is the best. Yeah. And now we can go and advocate for him because I think a lot of people that get into these businesses are so horny to build this huge social media presence yep. and go try and chase all these leads. Yep. And they get them. And like you said, they go ghost mode. Like they don't really excel yep. at the actual work. Yep. And then no one's going to call them back or yep. refer them another piece of business. And again, you've had all of your business growth without a social media. Yeah. And I will say, again, it was the same for you. We pretty much did no social media uh, a few years ago. And our businesses were growing of course. handsomely because we were just killing it with the clients that we had. And they would bring us more clients. Yeah, of course. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And and some, hey, listen, some people love, you know, the billboards, the marketing, the Google leads, and those all work. But then you got to, if that's your business model, that's great, right? Because if you have time to sift through the leads or go through it, it's fine. But when you're dealing with referrals, you're dealing with people 
that are generally like-minded to the people that you already work with. Right? Yeah, they're already kind of in, in line with your sphere that you're working. Yeah, like you got a solid personalities. Yeah. You got a solid client, triple A client. His friends are or her friends are typically going to be triple A people, right? So yeah. you're dealing with quality referrals, and then you can just it's just you can knock them out at a high level, right? Yeah, hundred um, percent. Was there one period of time that it like it was kind of trickling along, and then one year you had a blow up of volume? My first full year was um, six figures. So my 2018 was what cracked over 100. So hot damn. It was, so 2017 was slow. Yeah. But it was more ramp building, yeah. ramping, ramping, ramping. And then 2018 came and it was like a bunch of agents were just like totally, you know, blowing, uh, blowing me up. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Now that you've kind of brought up the income, that's insane that your first year was six figures. I tell everyone that gets into any of these positions, like, Prepare to make no money mm-hmm. um, because it's competitive and you don't necessarily have a lead for sure. lead source. Um, but what does a broker make on a deal usually? Like, what does it look like? Is it different residential, commercial, um, charging fees? Like, how, how does that usually work for something? Because I get a lot of people who ask, like, yeah, how much does a broker make or how do they get paid? Like, what, what does that look like? So, yeah, so we get on residential files. Like, if you come to me, you're buying a home, there's zero fee to work with a broker, right? So, the way we get paid is a bank pays us to bring the business there, completely separate to, to the client, right? So, the rate's not jacked up. There's nothing built into the mortgage. There's technically zero cost, right? On a commercial file, and that typically works out to be, let's say, around like 100 basis points, so 1% of the mortgage amount, yeah. right? But when you're dealing with commercial files, typically we have to we have to fee our, our fees in, right? Because the bank will also put a fee on a commercial file, like the application fee, right? And then we also have to fee in for a broker fee, right? So commercial is one of those things where you got to kind of... Sucks to be bigger, man. You got to... Just hose us. Residentially, like, oh, no fees, no worries. It's only 300 grand, no worries. Here they're like... Oh, you want to borrow three million bucks? Okay, we're about to hit you with a sixty thousand dollar fee. What up? And this is yeah. where, and this just is just to apply. Yeah, just to apply. <laughs> and this is where, like, the commercial side gets a little murky, right? Because people can charge really whatever they want, right? Yeah. And and but you have to be if you're not greedy and you look at how much work's involved. Like, if the deal's super straightforward, my typical fee on a commercial might be anywhere from half a percent to one percent. Okay. But if it's a slam dunk deal and it's a three million dollar loan, I'm not going to yeah. charge. You can't charge thirty grand, right? Like, it's yeah. just it's got you got to do it with maybe do a flat fee. Like, people have, people do. People have and people <laughs> do. And then they get greedy and then word gets around that they're just overcharging for nothing. Yeah, it's short, right? it's short side too. It's just like you could put a bunch of people into alternative products yeah, uh, and sure. jack them with them. Like, oh, listen, sure. you know, you're kind of a difficult file, so you're not going to have an A lender. You're going to be with this other product and there's fees associated with that, but it's your only option. And, um, you know, maybe it is their only option, but in some cases it's not and still they yeah. get put into these products. Yeah. What does the bank pay you? Uh, is it like one point? Roughly around one point, yeah. Interesting. Okay. Yep. Yep. That's, I, I, I always wondered how that works. On the loan amount, not the purchase price. That's the, the other thing amount. too, right? Yeah. So yeah. in a case where someone's only getting a 50% mortgage, you know, even if it's a $700,000 home, it's only, only getting paid. 350. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's on that. And then, so, okay, so you need to make that. So then how does it work with you and let's say Premier or any, so you have to go under a brokerage or you have to be a part of a firm yeah. to, to do this. Yep. What are like the splits? You don't say yours, but what are the splits usually that they see? Like I can say for realtors, a lot of them start, depending on what brokerage it is, is anywhere between 60-40 to 70-30. That's usually where they're usually yeah, at. The same thing. It's yeah. about the same thing? About the same thing for, for brokers. So you might start at 60-40, 30-70, and then you can work all your way up to whatever that you know that, that lower fee is. But Okay. Um, so that's really where the brokerage is taking 30% of your income. So let's say it's a $100,000 mortgage. You make 1%. That's 1000 bucks. Then you're on a 70-30 split. The brokerage is going to take 300 bucks. Yep. 
the broker is going to keep $700. It's the exact same yeah. for us. And then as your volume goes up, like you're going to just about to say. Once the volume goes up, then they kind of readjust it from there and you kind of, you know, renegotiate what that what that split is. Yeah. Got it. Got yeah. it. Um, I'll ask you one, maybe one more question about the business um, is I've noticed now that you host big events uh, for your realtors yep. and like appreciation events and all that. Did you do that right from the start or was that something you added in? Because another thing that I'm seeing is a lot of new agents. Um, I can speak to agents more, but they're doing big giveaways and they're hosting all these events. And it's like, I think you're doing kind of was the buggy before the horse sort of thing. Like you're trying to host these appreciation events, but I don't know what you're appreciating them for because they might have done one deal and you don't really know them. That's it. See, the, the agents that I find that or the, the agents or, or financial advisors or whatever to send me business they understand that getting the deal done for them is more important than a bottle of wine, a Tim Hortons thank you card. Like, I don't do mm. really thank you cards or that kind of stuff. I do that one event once a year. But they also know that if they need me at a Sunday night at 10 p.m. for an emergency, I will pick up the phone, right? Yeah. So they, client appreciation. That's, that's why, <laughs> yeah, that's why anytime a broker's ever approached me, like, oh, and we do this program where if you sign up, you get this, and, and I'll kick that. you back this. I'm like, man, I don't need that. You don't need Just it. get the deal done and That's send me it. a client from time to time. That's it. Yeah. I don't care what you're going to care. Like, high-quality realtors, they don't care about those incentives on the points. What they want is you to get the deal done and make them look good by them referring you, and then the client comes back and says, that was a great experience. Yeah, Or exactly. lawyer, yep. or, you know, inspector, or whatever, right? One broker did send me chocolate brownies kind of just randomly in the middle of the year. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That hit hard, bro. I was so tired. That's I came the key into to your heart. Literally, I was brownies. so tired coming into the office and I was kind of down. And I look at my mail slot and I'm like, oh, a little box. Yeah. And I open it up oh, and there's some, some cho- chocolates. Yeah, and there's some chocolates. And I'm like, this is amazing. Best day ever. Yeah. Uh, didn't actually send him any leads. But <laughs> <laughs> the person listening is like, wait a second. Yeah. Um, they went from feeling so good that they were kind of getting a shout out to like, God, <laughs> what? That guy. what? Uh, I guess another last question. What's your future plans for the business growth wise? Yeah. Uh, team, assistant. Yeah. I've been pushing him pretty hard to get an assistant. Yeah. What are you thinking? I'm just, you know, just, I can, here's the thing. I can work 20 hours a day. It doesn't matter. It just, I will keep going and my process is super efficient, but I'm also very, very, um, I guess, anal on my process. Like I don't like other people touching my file. I'm super efficient from the start. So my process is a lot quicker than everybody else's, right? Like Mm. my documents are all up front. My pre-approvals are solid. Pretty much the deal is all done. When we submit it to get a full offer, I got nothing else to do other than sign documents. Like it's really, really quick. So where does an assistant fit? I'm not entirely sure. Future plans for the business, just keep growing. Like my goal was to always double every single year, but... How are you going to do 550 point. leads by yourself next year? Well, here's the thing. Like, at some point, the market also doesn't let you double. Like, this year, you're probably not going no, to be able to, yeah. to double. That's right? true. So you got to just kind of work through it. But what yeah. other things are you doing on the side? I mean, you you built a house. Yep. You're obviously into the cars. Yep. Uh, any other things that you're sort of doing investment-wise or just, you know, where are you spending this money? Yeah, a lot of it were just... Um, car parts. In, in, car parts. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's um, the tax bills aren't nice. So the uh, I mean, a lot of it stays invested within the corporation. So, yeah. you know, whether it's, uh, you know, stocks or whatever, a little bit of that. Some of it's just in a cash cash position, just waiting for opportunity to see what, you know, I, I'm, I'm not I'm not like a duplex, triplex, fourplex kind of guy. I just I wouldn't make a good landlord in the sense of like if you weren't paying my rent for three months. 
I, look at the guns on the guy. You I want just, him coming I knocking just, for I, your I, rent? It just blows my mind that, you know, we just we can let people just live in a home for six months and squat. Steal? And not, They're literally stealing. I feel like mental. I would just break the door. Like, I just mentally, <laughs> I just lose my mind. So, like, if I want to do something, it might be, like, a bigger commercial, right. you know, multifamily or something. So when the opportunity comes up, but maybe something in the States a little bit, too. I've been yeah. kind of, you know, really digging uh, opportunities down there. But the beauty thing is, is, again, like, I can work from anywhere. So I can go run something in the u.s if i need to and when i go on vacations now i don't even post about it because i don't want people to know i'm not here because they know no different because you can right? do you can do nationwide but up. you can't broker in the states right i can't yeah. broker in the states right but, but you can, can go do work. across canada i can go stay in the states for two months and work yeah normally and no one would know any different right right hey thanks for listening to this point we're going to get into the second half of this interview with cyrus that's less about his business and more so about the different products and the different tools he has at his disposal to help you grow your investing business he's getting me all fired up i want to be a broker <laughs> man i wish i'd yeah. been a broker it's not all glam it, there is like a, a lot of it also stress it's a lot of paperwork it's, it's right yeah it's i mean that it, for sure but there is a lot of stress to it where your client like, stress is on you Right, but you also internalize a little bit too. So you, uh, you know, sometimes you'd be laying in bed at one thirty in the morning, you'd be run down to your laptop because something came to your mind. And you're like, oh, did I mm-hmm. think about this right? So it's a lot of because also financing's not fully fully done till that house closes. Yeah. You never know, and you've been doing this for a long time. You know, crazy stuff comes up on closing, or you might they buy a car between the time you approve them and they close. Or, and they do l- a listen redo. to this one, man. Like exactly. yeah. I, I just had this deal. It was on a random property that was owned by a co-op and was operating effectively as a counseling facility, but it's a house. Yeah. It's a residential house. And we had a long closing and they never migrated it, never migrated, never migrated. Yeah. And we already had to jump through a couple hoops because the lender was like, hmm, like, are you sure this isn't a commercial property? It's like, no, no. Yeah. We're buying it residentially. Yeah. We're getting the tax changed back to residential. Right. It is a house. No problem, no problem. Yeah. The lawyer didn't migrate the property until the week before closing, despite the fact that it was a three, four-month closing. Brutal. On migration, it turns out that there's a DA on the property that says uh, this property and all of its assignees and heirs to the end of time will always remain oh, yeah. a counseling <laughs> building, a building for, like, community counseling. Really? And so... Um, now it's like you have to go back to the lender and be like, um, I know we're doing this residentially. However, there's this antiquated DA on there, uh, which was probably because this, you know, well-intentioned co-op 25 years ago didn't want the property to get gobbled up by, you know, development around Evil it. Evil developers. Um, but now you've got this stupid thing that when you go to sell it, it's like, well, now you've handcuffed yourself. Yeah. And to discharge a DA can take like three months. Yeah. So, you know, we had to go back to the lender and convince them that no no it is going to be discharged it is going to be residential use and all these things and we're talking literally on the closing date because the seller lawyer sent over the migration information the day before yeah and found this yeah like so that crap happens and now you've got this you're the one that liaises with the lender they you've got to sell them on this thing which is the same thing you talked about three months earlier and it's like oh man and and, and in reality and and just like all of us if anything goes wrong with financing even though it's not my fault in any way it's my fault and it's looked at to be my fault so we have to make sure that every detail is looked at because the stress of you know a deal falling apart and someone losing a deposit uh is immense and mm-hmm. it could like if someone's packed up and they've already sold a home and they're moving to another home and then this one falls apart for something that you didn't do your job on properly there's stress right it also comes back to the communication like the the guy who kept that together is igor who i know you work yep. with and it's a buddy of yours and 
as an agent, you're just like, and even as a buyer, it's like, I know this is going to be taken care of one way or the other. And it sucks because like the crap does roll down to you guys. Um, you know, but the clear, clear communication helps because otherwise the buyer's just sitting there like, what is even going on? What do you Mm -hmm. mean? I thought I was approved. Well, and that's, and that's having a competent broker. Like, like I respect Igor immensely and Igor, he's, he has the connections and he's competent and you know, as, as a realtor that sends him business, that if anybody's going to be able to fix it, it's going to be him. So you have that confidence in him to do it. But if you're chasing someone that you have no confidence in and this comes up on day of closing, you're like, oof. Also, look, in your scenario, you do 300 transactions a year. That yeah. means you've got a handful of underwriters who are ultimately the, the people that approve yep. the mortgage. They know you. Yep. They know if it's gone through your pipeline, one, it's a AAA person to begin with. Yep. Two, you've done your vetting essentially of the file. The reason it's on their desk is because you think the file is sound. Correct. And it's going to get, I don't want to say rubber stamped, but it's going to get every benefit of the doubt. Pretty much there, um, yeah. So like, there must be times where you've taken a package that someone else had at, either with a different broker or just straight direct with an institution. And because of the fumbling and presentation, it didn't go through. And then you repackage it and boom, it's good Same to go. Same bank. Yeah. I've had it so many times where it comes from, let's say, Scotiabank and then something happens, it comes to us and we get it approved with Scotiabank because they didn't properly display all the facts, yeah. right? Or they didn't tell the story properly of what maybe the issue was. But it's it's just knowing your your deal, right? On that same note with Scotiabank, I think, is that the bank, like you had mentioned to me before, that you can beat the posted rate that you would get walking into a branch? A, a lot of banks, so it depends. Like Scotia, we do a lot of volume with, so we're like President's Club, whatever. So we get yeah. like the preferred rates and all that. So Scotia is where I do a, a good chunk of my business. And yeah. a lot of it is also like underwriter relationship. My underwriter, he will work 12, 14 hours a day. And when we went through those busiest times for the last two years, I don't know what I would have done without him cranking these deals out and yeah. getting them to meet these insane, you know, I used to get deals with one day condition of finance. And Jesus. I'd be like, man, yeah. sorry, I hate to do this to you. I know it's, you know, a Friday, but we got to find a way to pull it together and, and he'll do it. But this is the relationship, right? Yeah. So like yeah. And appraisers or lawyers or, you know what I mean? Whatever it might be, these guys save you, but you just, by doing volume, you get the connections, right? 100%. Yeah, no, I've just, I've heard that and I, and I think we talked about it before and it's because I think a lot of people are always like, well, why would I use a broker? It's going to cost me money. Uh, they might not be as good a rate. Like they're going to go to B lenders and this and that. And I think that's a misconception. Huge. Like, yeah, huge. You can we'll do, save you money. The bank, if you go to Scotiabank, they're not trying to move that mortar to save you money. Like they're not looking for ways to save you money. This employee, they work for the bank, right? Yeah. They also don't really care about what you're going to do next because the person doesn't have a vested interest in, well, one, your goals, but also chances are if you go to get a new product in two years, that person's not there. They're gone. And if they're they're good, they're gone somewhere else, right? Like they usually will move, right? So Um, I'm going to throw a couple things at you just because I want your quick hot takes on them. Um, The zero down program. Yeah. People get all excited about it. Yep. It's not necessarily, I don't think it's it's um, that much to get that excited about. One, the idea of walking into a home with 0% equity is problematic to begin with. But there's also Big some time. limitations. Quick synopsis, because people ask us all the time. Yep. Well, what can you tell us about the zero down program? Yep. So it's it's there's a purchase price limit. So in HRM, it's five hundred thousand. Uh, South Shore, I believe, is three seventy five, and then everywhere mm-hmm. else is three hundred. Mm-hmm. Maximum household income of one forty five. Okay. Um, and all this was changed recently to kind of juice everything up. And basically, it's a ten year interest free loan. You pay it back monthly. They attach it on the house as a second mortgage for the down payment amount. Of- for the down yeah. payment, yeah. For that for that five percent, you um, you got but you got to meet all the criteria. You got to have. Good credit. Like you, this is not if you have shaky credit. Yeah. The lender CMHC won't approve it. 
So you got to have good credit. You got to have um, uh, good, well, income that qualifies or whatever. And then, and then the other part of it too is you can't have ever owned a home before. They did make mm. a provision, and for you can't make too much money, and you can't make more than one forty-five. Yeah. So then they did make the provision for separations, and they just it just was effective January first. But I think if you were separated before, they might oh, see that's you as good. the first time. Yeah. Same as the RRSP. Yeah. Yeah. Ch- change they made, but yeah. Okay. Um, it's not another used one. Much. Um, do you, why do you think it's not used? Just because it's so hard to qualify? Well, because usually, yeah, because if because sometimes, and I don't want to generalize, but if you don't have a da- if you make that much money, you don't have a down payment saved up. A lot of times, sometimes it's like, well, is there credit issues? Credit, yeah. yeah, like why do you not have the money saved up if you're making a hundred and some grand a year, right? So yeah. It just depends. Like usually this program is perfect for people who have just maybe come out of university, got a good job. Maybe they just haven't had time to save up. They got student loans, whatever. Right. Just for some guys uh, or girls, just like couples that are trying to get in. And like, if you want to do a little bit of work in the house, you want to save a little bit of cash. Like if they only have a small amount, I'm like, this way you can get in and, and not be completely strapped and it's interest free. Yeah. But I have found that most people have said it's not, it makes it quite a bit more difficult for qualifying. Uh, Cause then they also have to take into account the debt servicing for that. For that payment back, exactly. in, back into your numbers and then go from there. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. it's, it's more aggressive than it would be for a mortgage because it's only 10 years versus the 25 or 30 that you'd get on a house. Yeah. Another hot topic. Neil thinks this foreign buyer ban is uh, no big deal and should probably be a lot stricter. Oh, okay. um, <laughs> um, I did not say that. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm paraphrasing. Um, no, no, I'm like the media. Uh, Damn. Yeah. Um, coming for you. Neil hates foreigners. It just <laughs> there's this, um, Neil's brown too. Um, you know, jokes aside, like we talked and, and you mentioned that, well, there are all these, um, you know, certain things that, that a person could still qualify. Do you have any anecdotal stories of people who have recently uh, been about to purchase a home, but now because this new form buyer have huge, not? Huge, yeah. yeah. So this is, and and Igor and I actually were talking about this last week, because it, it does affect a really specific pool of buyers that it's causes actually a bigger issue than they think they're fixing. So 100%. this is the work permit you know, individuals. Okay. If you're here on a student visa, you're not working, you're sent here with a lot of money. You're, you're, you're capped at 20 hours a week. Fine. Okay. That's or, fine. Yeah. But if you're coming here on a work permit, you're typically, you're not a, a millionaire. You're coming here working mm-hmm. as a, you know, we've got a lot of clients that come as nurses, a lot of clients that come on tech which companies, we which 55 we need. to 80,000 a year. These are all yeah. people that pay taxes. These are all people that help the economy. And then, you know, they make good income and they got a good saving and they want to buy a house. Right. And now you're going to tell people, and actually originally that work permit was going to be allowed, but now they came and they said, work permit's allowed, but you have to file taxes for three consecutive years. Or three of the last four years. Three of the last four yeah. years. or And then, by that point, you're you're pretty much applying for PR anyway, right? Mm-hmm. And most banks, exactly. if you've been a work permit for five years, they won't lend anymore, right? They want you to be a PR at that point. So then they look at it and they say, you're, you're basically narrowing the window, and you're getting a lot of people who are qualified buyers, Okay, so let's say now you're not letting them buy a house. Well, now you're putting them in the rental market. Yep. And you are competing with someone who makes a hundred and some thousand dollars a year for that apartment, and you are not going to stand a chance because they are qualified to buy a home. They're not allowed to buy a home. Now they're going to go rent something, which is then going to cause Precisely. Precisely. 100%. Market, right? And I this is well, you're like, oh, you know, he, they're, they're no. just, Neil's just like, oh, they're just going to get their PR anyway, and temporary workers are fine too. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, no, no. Let me talk. Let me okay, talk. Okay. My turn. 
I all I, my whole point at the end of it was I agree that the whole thing is stupid effectively. Like I think it it makes it perpetuates the issues that we're having right now and I don't I agree it doesn't help bring in the workers that we need. Yeah. Uh, the the kind of people that we want here and then it makes the rental market worse. I agree with all those things. But like politically, you know they're going to put this shit in because sure. it looks good to be like, oh, we're stopping the foreign buyers because locally everyone's like, oh, the foreign buyers, my <clears> kids are going to buy a house and then these foreigners bought the house. So they, they help appease that market. Um, but my thing was just, it's better than it has in the past or the previous ones that we've seen. The renditions that we've seen before where they just slap it in, like no foreign buyers. Now they at least put some asterisks in it. The more we look into it, the more we talk about it. I'm like, it's brutal. The other thing is too, I was thinking about even like a foreign, a lot of foreign families, like they'll move here and if they buy a house, They'll rent rooms, they'll rent their basement to another family that's moving here mm-hmm. versus, mm-hmm. honestly, a local family is less likely to do that. Yeah. Right? Like, so the immigrant sure. families are more likely to put more people in that home. Um, also, the cruel irony is that they're saying, so. we want to do this so that they're more incentivized to stay here and get their permanent residence status. No, they're going to be less incentivized because the one thing that ties a person to a place is a, a sense of home. They buy a home, now they're going to stay. And instead, they're going to look to other areas and be like, okay, what other countries, you know, should we tell our friends and families back home? Exactly. To move to instead, big time, right? Um, because here we're just you know being screwed over, so it's going to backfire that's, hugely. That's a big um, one, yeah. and it's going to all be because we didn't like what was going on in Vancouver and to some degree Toronto. We didn't like that they have a couple empty condos there, uh, and so now we're we're doing that are millions of dollars that we're not fixing the housing crisis to begin yeah. with. You yeah, know what I mean? so it's a move point. Um, I got another hot button topic. Yep, financing Airbnbs. Uh, mm, yeah. Every now and again, someone be like, "Oh, this don't worry about this property. It's a slam dunk." It brings in $6,000 a month. It's a duplex. Yeah. It brings $6,000 a month, yeah. and it's only this cost. But then you find it when you actually look into it, that's all short-term rental income. Big what time. is the latest? How are lenders feeling about that? Is there any lender that's specifically touching short-term rental income or not at all? Yeah, so most most banks and lenders, they won't use short-term rental income because there's no history on it, right? So hmm. typically what they want, if you have, and I, I don't know necessarily off the top of my head, I can't remember what bank, but some bank will look at, if you own the Airbnb and you want to refinance it and they know it's an Airbnb and you got a history of two years and you've been claiming the income and there's an average income, then they might use it, right? Okay. If you're going to go buy an Airbnb, they're not taking into account any Airbnb income. At mm-hmm. the very best, typically what they'll do is they will do a market rent analysis. Market rent. I suppose they can get around it by claiming the income and adding that to their income, but... Um, Banks don't love it, though. Yeah. Like sometimes... Loan to value, too. Well, loan to value, but a bank will look at a at an Airbnb, and some of them won't do them. Like, they'll make you sign a stat deck, because if the property's already an Airbnb, we've seen banks decline properties that are already Airbnbs, and they think it's going to stay an Airbnb, and mm-hmm. they'll be like, no. Or they'll make you sign a stat deck that you're yeah. not going to make it an That's Airbnb. That's a statutory declaration saying, like, yeah. I promise I am not going to do whatever. Legally, yeah. I'm writing... I've, I've seen one where they already had the mortgage, everything was in place, and then they do their annual filed review on a commercial deal. It was like a 10-unit building. And when they submitted in their leases, the leases, a couple of them are probably like 5 out of 10, were signed by the same management company, yep. which is an Airbnb yep. management company. They Red asked flags. what that was. The second it went up, they said, you have to get rid of them all. Yeah, I think Red they flags. said they could keep one unit maybe, but it was like a 10-unit yeah. building with commercial space and all that. Um, but yeah, it was a red flag for them, and they, they made them boot all the Airbnbers out, which actually... At the time, I think dropped the rents a little bit. Obviously, the market's gone nuts since, but yeah. Yeah. it's. Uh, I always tell everyone like, don't, uh, don't buy based on Airbnb because no. the other oh, thing yeah. is the rules could change. Hundred percent. We've you talked about that. Yeah, yeah. We've talked about it a bunch of times. Yeah. So it's it's just impossible. The only thing is, if you're buying like a motel or a hotel, that's different. You're qualifying on totally different numbers. They're looking at multi years of financials, yeah. Yeah. and you're buying a business. Financials business. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a different different ball game at that point. Exactly. What are you seeing rate-wise right now? Like, what, what's what's the best rate out there, give or take? 
uh, for you know, a five-year straight single-family residential, but then maybe for also an income property. Insured, non-insured. Yeah, I mean, rates, there's such a such a wide variety right now. Like, we've never seen them this much spread apart. So anywhere from the high fours to the low sixes or mid sixes, like, it really just depends on... Right now, the, the major banks, for the most part, because there's two classes of lenders. you got your Scotiabank, TD, CIBC, BMO, RBC, kind of your major five banks. Mm-hmm. And then you have your non-bank lenders. They're still A lenders. They're not private. They're not B lenders. But mm-hmm. your first nationals, your home trusts, whatever. Mm-hmm. And usually, they're all pretty close. But in the last six months, the banks have been way priced out. And the non-bank lenders have been priced in, right? So mm. they want the business. These guys don't want the business. It's creating a bit of a, you know, quite a bit of a gap between the two. It's been interesting. So right now you could maybe get, you know, 5% down, 489, somewhere 484, somewhere kind of around there. Just a residential single family. You're going to live in it 5% down. Rentals are going to be probably in the, and again, could go from rentals could be anywhere from like the low fives to like the low to mid sixes, right? Depending on the bank. Is there anything in specific that helps qualify a rate other than having good credit, being an owner-occupied, insured? Like, is there anything else that someone can do? Like, is there any asterisks, like, don't have this or do have this? or No, credit, typically credit, I mean, if you're approved for a CMHC mortgage, you're going to be approved, so you'll fall under whatever the umbrella of, of that rate's going to be, whether you're a 700 or, or a perfect 900. doesn't really mm-hmm. matter at that point. Um, there is some banks or I should say non-bank lenders where if you increase, cause the rates are always lower when you put less than 20% cause they got the CMHC insurance. But if you put 20% down, the rates are obviously a little bit higher, but then a lot of these non-bank lenders will tier it based on 20, 25, 30, 35. And usually if you put 35% down on a 25 year mortgage, it's going to be the same rate as a 5% down. So they will do some. Oh, wow. So if a client comes and they're like, we're risk. putting 50% down, I'm like, well, great. I can move you over here and you can get it pretty much the, the, you know. But again, rate is important. We want to make sure it's a good mortgage product at the same time, right? But the rate's not the be-all end-all. It's not. not no, even especially close. for an investor. Not even close. And for uh, an investor, not even close, right? Yeah. Just now, this is a bit of an aside, but it just, you kind of sparked me here. Do you think these private banks, and like at the end of the day, First National, it's a grade A bank. They're lending at cheaper rates than the big five that we know, but they're still considered a private bank. Um, do you think they're going to outpace and outgrow the big five? Like it's like I'm in terms just, of lending. Yeah, just in terms like or in just like starting to gain like market share because I feel like there might be more opportunity for more to come up in that space as well. In the states, that's more how their 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 systems are run. Yeah. Um, but here we've always kind of relied on these big five, but I'm seeing that same thing on the commercial side that there's a huge spread, like a hundred to 150 basis points in difference between like an RBC and a first nat. Yeah. And, and first nat is really on the commercial space is the CMHC player in Canada. Like if you're doing a CMHC mortgage, first nat's your go-to. If you're doing yeah. conventional, usually BMR, RBC, whatever. Right. But on the, um, I guess it's a, it's a little bit, tricky in terms of market share because you could say first national holds a lot of market share like billions and billions of dollars and mm-hmm. and they you know it's all money in the back end from investors and banks invest like td can invest in or whatever so mm-hmm. it's and then it's all securitized and it's all typically cmhc back end insured even if there's no cmhc fee they're still insuring it with cmhc and then they mm-hmm. sell the mortgage off so it's really i mean they're they are really as, as the broker market share has grown they have become much more popular right and there's a ton of them out there, but you have to pick. Well, I'm the hearing ones it now, like often with like just residential home buyers. I'm like, who's only with like First National? I'm like, yeah. oh shit! Like these guys are breaking well, into every market. It's called uh, it's called fragment fragmented banking, where it used to be you did everything with your bank. Yeah, right. Yeah. If, if you were a Scotia person, you opened your first checking account with them when you were seven, and you know they handled your estate when you when you died, and you did not step out of line. Mm. Now 
I mean, you and I both, we have got a product over here. I've got product with Scotia. I've got product with BMO. I've got product with Credit Union Atlantic. It's so easy with the internet and apps now. But but there used to be a relationship aspect too, right? Like back in the day, banking used to be like, you know, the branch manager, he'd he'd have some kind of a power, right? You can walk in there, he can stamp the file, give the okay. None of that exists anymore. Your relationship yeah. with the bank means nothing. If you don't fall in the guidelines, you're not getting approved. Doesn't yeah. matter how long you've had your banking there. So you're just a number to them. At the end of the day, that's why we don't put much value on on how I'm, your banking relationship. Can I fire you up for a second on that? Like that is yeah. so insanely valuable. We talk about it all the time that you need to have someone that understands the business that you're doing and what you're in and is working for your best interest. And that's so much what a broker can provide over anything is that yeah. relationship. And I will say for my business. Yeah, I got educated on it. But if I had just walked into a branch, I would have forever fallen on my face. But by linking up with brokers, they were able to join my business effectively and help me grow that that huge leap. So like preach on that concept of like the relationship is so big. And I'd say, again, like with First National and those guys, like I find I have so much more relationship with them than I do with any bank. Like, yeah, I'm not gonna say who I've been banking with my entire life. They've seen me grow from nothing to what I have today. And I still don't really have like a set person. I don't have a great relationship with them. And but then like, they start going like this, hey, like, is there any chance you might want to open uh, a business account? It's like, man, the ship sailed, yeah, it's right? Gone. Like, yeah. you know, and, and, and even sometimes they'll say yes, and then they pass me around. I'm in this, like, oh, puck oh, passing yeah. thing, and then they put me in somebody out back that, like, no offense to anyone who works there, and I'm sure there's people that are great, but I've had terrible experiences on average where they're just kind of like, you're like, okay, we got to do the process. Here's the list of 14 things. Can you get me these 14 There's things? There's a lot of incompetence. And I'm like, well, I don't have this one item. And they're like, well, you can't do it. There, it's, a, it's a lot of incompetence and it is a lot of uh, inexperience, right? And, it, and it's like, you know, like if you, you know, you're going to go heart surgery, you're not going to go to your family doctor to get heart surgery. You want to go to, to the, um, I forget the word here. Cardiologist. Right? Cardiologist to get yep. heart. So same thing. If you're going to get your mortgage done, and some banks have mortgage specialists and that's great. But the reality is, is that, they can only tell you what they have, and they only know what they have. We know what everybody has. And even I don't have access to RBC, BMO, CABC. They don't have a, they don't have a broker channel on the residential side. Mm-hmm. But I guarantee you I know some of their products better than they do. So okay. I know if a client's like, well, I'm thinking about RBC. Well, okay, well, here's for your situation why that's probably not a good idea. Or, hey, maybe it is a good idea. You're looking to build a house from the ground up. That could be good, right? But you have to just know. Exactly. And you're, you're paid to ed- you be educated and to do well on it. Um, back to also I mean when you see someone like yourself and your ambition and your work ethic it's like well if I'm entrusting someone to go and get me money to help me grow yeah it's like do you want to ride with this guy yeah or that person in the cubicle again no disrespect they may may be great and for certain things they might be a better fit but you want people who are hustling because they grow if you grow they also don't they also will clock out of five and they will go home and that aunt, that, oh, that phone will ring, ring, sorry, ring never until the it. next day at nine. <laughs> and if there's an issue, sorry, my, I'm off the clock, right? Like yeah, we yeah. obviously, there is no real realtors or clients. There is no off the clock. There's stuff that comes up and you got to move quick. And there's yeah. an issue that needs to be dealt with now. 100%. And to that point, you were talking, giving us a story before we got in here that like a rate, there was a rate change and you had to friggin' leave a birthday, a birthday dinner to go home <laughs> yeah. and make, make the moves to get that rate change out to all of your clients. Yeah. Um, but on that same note of rate changes, what the hell's going on? Where do you think things are going? What do you see in coming in the future? People, everyone's kind of speculating. Yeah. What's your feeling on, on it? Like we have another announcement coming up. Yeah. What do you see happening there? And then what do you see for the next maybe 12 to 18 months? Yeah, we see. So we're doing a lot of still doing a lot of variables. Like a lot of my client book is variable and it's it's got to make sense. Obviously, if you're fixed income, 70 years old on a pension, mm-hmm. you probably don't want to be variable because you can't handle the fluctuation. But if you can mm-hmm. handle the fluctuation, if you understand it, 
variable will usually work out to be better, right? Whether the interest rate works out to be better or not, the penalty alone, right? Yeah. yeah. Forget the interest. You break that home in two, and most six out of 10 Canadians break it in three and a half years. So if you break your mortgage, oh, regardless of what your rate was, that penalty, like I saw one, it was actually looking at one the other day, it was a $215,000 mortgage. It was a $22,000 penalty well, that he was going to have break. to pay. 10%. Yeah. If it was a variable, it would have been like three grand. Yeah. So even right? if they ate it on a higher variable rate for the last eight months, yeah. guarantee you they didn't $22,000 eat it. Yeah, because right? a lot happens in five years, and you have to be ready for that. So where do we think rates are going? Probably another quarter point in a, at the end of the month. Looks like yeah. it's pretty much priced in. So then you look at it and say, my opinion, it'll probably hold steady for 12 to 16 months. Like, if we start seeing Prime go down, it might be probably Q1, Q2 of 24. Man, that long, I got damn. But it's like, <laughs> it's kind of that, like, it goes up, it holds steady. But, like, the same yeah. thing I tell people, like, I'm variable. Like, I wouldn't tell you to do variable if I'm not doing it. Yeah. And, and we... Let the clients make. We just educate them. You make the decision. But just be comfortable that it's going to be higher and it's higher than the fixed rates are now. But if you're going to go into a five-year, you don't want to be five-year fixed at five point something. You know, because mm. that's not going to yeah. be five years. Maybe it is. Who knows? But even if it was, the penalty alone, if you decide to break that house, regardless of the rate. Yeah. We have no good news. This guy, this guy brought no good news today. Hey, I'm just, uh, <laughs> don't shoot the message. Yeah. You know? no, just, but it's, it's, you're, you're supposed to lie to me and yeah. tell me that we're going down 200 <laughs> points over the next year. I just, uh, I just don't think it's going to keep skyrocketing. It's no, just, no. At some point, I, you I can't, think we're at the end right? of that. It's just the reality is rates go down a lot slower than they go up. Of course. Right? So um, the, the pullback on that is going to be very, very, very slow. I was optimistic that we might have a couple rate increase, rate decreases or at least one or two rate decrease <laughs> decreases in Q3 or Q4 this year. But I was thinking a little Q4 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I mean, it used to be, oh, they there's never an increase minute. of more than, an increase or a decrease of more than 25 points. Well, that's out the window. <laughs> and, you know, they never, you know, change it all eight meetings or whatever it is. Well, that's out the window. They yeah. do that too now. So it's hard to predict. I think if we're lucky, they might break us off a little Christmas miracle of like point one five point uh, yeah you know, like a little something something here's a little taste <laughs> yeah I think the federal election I I know Bank of Canada is not a political arm however <laughs> some I influences. think there's some going to be some political pressure um, for for rate easing but we'll see well if you if you go back and if you you know what was it two years ago the governor of Bank of Canada came on he said Canadians have nothing to worry about if they're buying a home in the coming years. Rates oh, will be low yeah. and, and, and nothing, you know, in this uncertain time. And his exact words, I'm pretty sure, were, we're, never, this, we're never this upfront, mm. but we're going to be upfront yeah. just to give everybody some kind of, you know, peace of mind. Then what happens as soon as, you know, everything goes down? We'll basically force a recession if we have to, was basically his yeah. speech two years later. Mm -hmm. So it's like a lot of people had done stuff based on that advice, right? Yeah. And it, it's almost kind of like it could be the greatest, you know, in a sense, like a rug pull. Like, did they just, they made everybody... Well, we had this whole conspiracy you know, theory that, that the they do this and then people get leveraged and then you've got this reallocation of wealth, which always flows upward. And of course it does. Yeah. yeah. So it, uh, yeah. Um, so last question maybe would be people are getting caught up on refis right now sure. um, because rates are high. The debt servicing isn't there. What are you telling people? Like if they want to refi and they're unable to get a higher amount, are you saying like take what you can right now and then look to come back to this in a year or two um, or add an additional product? If you really want to go buy something else, we can look at adding a private product on top or like yeah. what can you give as like almost words of peace uh, or like what or advice for people who are trying to move forward? Because I know a lot of us like 
we're doing for our models at different scales. Sure. And it gets shot in the foot when you can't take out 10 or 15%, because that's per usually the lift is yeah. the 5, 10, 15%. Sure. Yeah. Um, what are you suggesting to people to do in those kinds of cases? Like, Yeah. It depends what you need the equity for. Like if you're pulling equity just to have it, don't pull it because what are you going to do? Pay interest on money you're not using, right? So yeah. it mm-hmm. depends if the money that you can pull out is enough to do what you need to do, right? If you're pulling money out to consolidate debt, makes sense. If you're pulling money out to go buy something, makes sense. But if I'm just going to pull a little bit out and it's not going to give you enough money, then it's not going to work. But what you also have to then keep in mind is where's that mortgage and how did you set it up, right? Because mm-hmm. as an example, Scotiabank has the STEP program, right? Total equity plan. If the you know house is worth a million, they can lend up to 800000 and split it up to multiple different components. One mortgage, two mortgage, home equity line. Like, they can do components. So a lot of people that were 159, 189 two years ago that want to come back and pull equity, well, if they're with Scotia, I can now turn around and leave that 189 the way yeah. it is for 500 grand. Add 200 grand yeah. at... Five and a half percent, fine. It's not great, but it's better than breaking the whole mortgage and five and a half. With like a right? one to five ratio, it's yeah, you're still at a phenomenal so rate. Depends on where it is, right? Or some banks do blended rate where they'll kind of mix yeah. the two together. But that's kind of where setting it up becomes important. But again, what's the purpose of refi? Is it to buy something else? Well, is there enough equity to buy something else, right? To do one of those HELOCs or one of those kind of setups, are they rechecking debt service, assuming you maximum like fully utilize that? Yeah. They are okay. But there's also a difference between putting on uh, HELOC and adding a second mortgage. Well, Scotia right, like, technically qualifies them the same. Yeah. So when they give you that, so you have to qualify for the eight hundred thousand dollar mortgage, right? No matter what. And yeah. they actually amortize that whole eight hundred over thirty years, and then however you split it underneath that, you can have a mortgage under fifteen years. Even though you qualify mm. at thirty, they can give it to you over fifteen. You can have a home equity line. You can have multiple different things under this basically total limit, right? So okay. that's good for investors. If you're looking to, maybe you need to, you maybe want to pull 100 now and that's enough, but you may, might need to come back in a year mm-hmm. and pull another 50 to 100, right? Mm-hmm. Maybe we set it up in multiple components, right? Depends on the, on a few factors, but. Interesting. Yeah. So if someone wants to reach out to you, you mentioned you don't, you're not a big social media guy except yeah. for your personal stuff. Um, how do they reach out to you? Yeah. So just, to, I'm, I'm a big phone call guy. So numbers 902-880-7048. Call me, text me, send me an email. If you go to my uh, my Instagram, it's Cyrus Habibi, like I'm probably the only one that's Cyrus Habibi. So <laughs> not many of uh, that name around. So if you just look it up, message me, my email should, is in that bio there. So really, however you want to reach out. Yeah, or if you see a white Corvette that blows your eardrums out, <laughs> like literally <laughs> makes your ears bleed, speaking from experience <laughs> on this one, that's Cyrus. So yeah, it's, a, it's a little obnoxious. Yeah. <laughs> We can only drive at certain times of the day so it doesn't wake up all of his neighbors. I can't start the car until like it's 10 or 11 o'clock in the morning. So it's not yeah, good. Yeah, and can't go out too late at night because it's going to be like, night. there goes the neighborhood. Blows all the kids out of the water. Yeah. But uh, yeah, no. Okay. Well, I mean, I appreciate you coming on. No, thanks so much. I appreciate it. Yeah. Any questions you guys have, uh, give Cyrus a shout. Yeah, yeah. He knows his shit. He does a lot of mortgages. He's trying to get to 550 this year. So I think we need a few <sighs> guys to give him a call. Let's do it. I'm ready. Hey, I'm I'm ready. Let's go. I can't stress enough to people that you need to build like a broker relationship if you actually want to take this thing to the next level. 100%. And some of you might be interested in about becoming a broker. So enjoy it on that front as well. Yeah. Do you think there's still, I'm going to ask that, is there still opportunity in the market? Yeah, it's, it's, it's going to be tough. Like yeah. it's it's going to be a really it's a tough time to get in because yeah. you yeah. have to really know your stuff right now. And there's going to be a lot yeah. of business being done 
for free. And when I say that, I mean like porting mortgages because mm. whatever you've got in the last four years, is nobody wants to let be, go of. It's probably going to be lower, it's lower than now. So yeah. we're doing a lot of ports and I'm getting paid zero on it. But that's not, that's or just my a client. little bit on new money or a little bit. Yeah. On new, but that's my client. Got to take care of them. And eventually it comes around. But if you're yeah. hungry for a paycheck, it's by the time you get the house, it closes, could be a few months. By the time you get paid after the house closes, yeah. could be another month. Like this is not, if you're hurting, an overnight if you're cash. coming into yeah. it, you got to have, let's say, six to 12 months of reserve set aside that you can survive without Which is hard to do work, today. Without making money. Yeah. yeah. It is. It is. Yeah. Cool. Well, yeah. thank you, sir, for coming on. Thank you, gentlemen. Appreciate you. appreciate it. Yeah. And thanks for listening, guys. Peace. Thanks so much for watching the episode. I hope you enjoyed it. If you did, press like. Don't forget to subscribe. But also check us out on Instagram and TikTok. You can find all the links below. Thanks again for checking us out.